turn, if you would, to Matthew 17. Matthew 17. And we'll take a moment to pray for God's word. How many of y'all are excited to be in here on Palm Sunday? You know what this day is about? This day is about the arrival of King Jesus coming, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem for the first time publicly revealing himself as King of Kings. And people begin to recognize and worship and praise him and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're shouting. And there's others who see Jesus and they tell him to be quiet. And they tell all these people to be quiet. And Jesus says, if they don't say it, the stones will cry out. That's who came into Jerusalem humble, riding on a donkey. And Palm Sunday is anticipation for what Jesus would do, dying on a cross, and then three days later, rising up out of the grave. So this is the beginning of Holy Week. Like, this is like game day Sunday, right? Like this, this Sunday, and then Easter Sunday. So be praying for who you might invite and be praying for who you might encounter um, that you might share the gospel with somebody and, and, and share this great king who came humble one day riding on a donkey. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time now. Father God, we, we recognize that we absolutely need you. Lord, when we come to church, when we gather as your people we long for your presence. We long for the manifest presence of God. We know you're present everywhere in the world. But when you manifest yourself, when you, when you show us your glory, when you show us your power, when you show us your majesty, Lord, we, we just get overwhelmed with a sense of your presence. And we begin to see who you are. And we begin to see who Jesus is. And I pray, Father, that you would help us now as we approach this text today. In Matthew 17, Lord, that we would get great help and that you would speak to us a better word than the one I've prepared. That we would come up on the mountain, as it were, and see Jesus for all he is in his resplendent glory. And Father, wherever we've come in today, whether we've just been so elated the past few minutes praising your name or we're coming in with some very real brokenness and hurt, or perhaps we're coming in here with just apathy for the things of God and a blindness to the glory of Jesus. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would come upon this time, open all of our hearts, and Lord, that you would move on your word, fill me with your spirit, and fill me with a compassionate love to share this word with your people and minister to us now in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. I was thinking about this this week, that some, sometimes we just need to get alone with Jesus, right? Sometimes you just need to get away from everything, go up on the mountain, as it were, and just get alone and be with God. 
so that you can be free of the distractions, so that you can be free of sort of the fog and that mental fog of the day in, day out grind of maybe work or the, the culminating pressures of the world around us, maybe relational conflict that's going on in the family or, or in friendships. And we can be so distracted that we just need to get away from it all and just get on the mountain with Jesus, right? I mean, if, if there was a week for us to be contemplating getting up on the mountain with Jesus, maybe this one would be the one to think about. Because never before has there been so much turmoil, right, in our country. Never before so much violence. Never before so many dark things going on in the kind of frequency that we're seeing today. When we thought, you know, having a school shooting every few years is horrific, now we're seeing it every few weeks. Or when we look at the epidemic of fentanyl overdoses, or, or we look at depression skyrocketing among Americans around the United States. People are turning somewhere for hope. But God's people, Jesus' disciples, need to get along with Jesus sometimes to get perspective. And there was a great anticipation in the first century, right? There was an anticipation of who Jesus was. There was a longing for him to set up a political kingdom and to reign as the king and to overthrow the Romans. We talked about this a few weeks ago. So everybody who was around Jesus was excited for what Jesus might do. And then Jesus starts talking about dying. And people didn't like that. The disciples had a great discovery, right? When Jesus asked them one day, he said, who, who do men say that I am? Who do men say the son of God or the son of man is? And they said, well, some say he's Elijah. Some say he's John the Baptist. Some say he's a prophet like Jeremiah. Or Elijah. And Jesus zeroes in and he looks at his disciples and he says, yeah, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter just pipes up real quick. And he says, you are the son of the living God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then Jesus begins to talk about his death. Look with me real quick to chapter 16. I had you open to 17. Look to 16, verse 21. And listen to Jesus' words right after this great confession of Peter. From that time... Jesus began to show his disciples that, they, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the hands 
of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so Peter, once again, quick to act. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke Jesus saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, this is Jesus now, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Peter is like in a rocket ship of, of, of praise. You're, you, you, you've got it. I'm the son of the living God. You've got it. The father's revealed this to you. And then all of a sudden, when Jesus starts talking about the cross and Peter gets in the way of that. Jesus is like, no. When you get in the way of the cross, you're doing the work of the enemy. When you don't want Christianity with a cross, you're outside the pale of salvation. There is no Christianity without a cross. There is no salvation without Jesus going into Jerusalem to suffer and to die and three days later to rise from the dead. So all of these expectations start to crumble in the minds of the disciples. It's like, we thought he was going to be this Superman king. And he's going to die and suffer? We never, never imagined that suffering would be the pathway to glory. And nobody thought that this king who came humble on a donkey would go to the cross. So Jesus rebukes Peter, says you need to get your mind on the things of God. And then we have this account that I want to unfold to you today, where Jesus knows they're a little bit dejected, right? He knows they're a little bit discouraged, like, okay, that's a bummer. You're about to die. We just spent three years with you and you're going to go die. Never mind that they're not seeing the resurrection bit yet. They don't see he's going to triumph over the grave. Yeah, everybody gets raised at the end of the age, but, but this whole resurrection after three days is not making sense to them. So Jesus takes them up on the mountain, as it were, and shows him or shows them his glory. He takes his three inner circle, James, Peter, and John, and he takes them up on the mountain. To show him, to, cut, to show them, to, to, to peel back the curtain, as it were, right? And to show them something of his resplendent glory. You got to think like Wizard of Oz a little bit, right? You, you, you've, you, you've seen Wizard of Oz and they go through the yellow brick road and they go through all the challenges of the, the, the dealing with the witch and, and all of uh, her attacks and flying monkeys and all this stuff. And then it's time to see Oz behind the curtain. Right? And they see him and he's just a nobody. He's just some old guy. Not so with Jesus. He takes his disciples up on the mountain and they see something glorious. They see something that literally floors them and they fall on their face. So let's look at it in chapter 17, verse 1 of Matthew. This is God's word, right? When, when we read it, the Lord has a word for you today, no matter where you've came in, no matter what's going on in your heart. 
He has a word for you from the scriptures. All scripture has been breathed out by God and is profitable. Verse 1 of Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to Moses and Eli or there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make you three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but, but that's, that's a mountaintop experience. That's not going through the Wizard of Oz and then being totally let down to see just a pedestrian sort of old man who is sort of a charlatan. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus delivers the goods. Jesus, as it were, unveils himself before the disciples so that they can see who Jesus is, number one, understand who Jesus is, number two, and experience who Jesus is, number three. Seeing Jesus, understanding Jesus, and experiencing Jesus. That's what this passage is all about. And what I want us to do today is I want us to come up on the mountain with Jesus. And some of you in here are just longing for a mountaintop experience with Jesus. You're longing for something more. Now, we don't always get to be up on the mountain. They've got to come back down eventually. But brothers and sisters, we need to be on the mountain every so often. And in a world where we are so distracted with media and with iPhones and Androids and, and all the stuff, right, that bombards us on Snapchat and Facebook and, and we, we seek to kind of cultivate an identity around our social media presence. And it's choking the life right out of us. And we're so empty and we're projecting hollow images of ourselves. And we need something real. We need to get up on the mountain with Jesus and see him for who he really is. And that's what we see here in verse 1 and 2. We see the disciples getting brought up on the mountain with Jesus. And it had been six days, really, since that confession of Peter and his rebuke 
by, by Jesus. And now they're getting to go up on the mountain with him. And it's the inner circle. It's like the boys with Jesus, right? Come on, boys. Let's go up on the mountain. I want to show you something. You're my inner three. And I want to show you something about myself. Because you've been blind to it before. This moment. And some of us may be there today. You're just, you're seeing the world and the stuff going on and you're just terrified. And you need to visit Jesus and get perspective. You need, to, you need the sense of Jesus manifesting in your life. Actually comforting you in ways that only he can do. And actually creating in you a life of faith that is like a shining light in this world. And so we see it here. That he takes them up on a high mountain by themselves, getting away from all the distraction. In verse 2, it says he was transfigured among them. He was transfigured. And that Greek word, transfigure, gives you the idea of metamorphosis. It's, the, it's where we get the word metamorphosis, right? Changing, transforming. We think of a caterpillar changing into a beautiful butterfly, right? Well, Jesus is, is, is veiling his divine nature in his humanity. And he's going to kind of peel that back for them to see this resplendent, white, brilliant glory. Look at it right there in verse 2, right? He's transfigured. He's changed. He's metamorphosizing before them. And his face shines like the sun. And his clothes become radiant white as light. And he's dazzling to look at. It's like looking in the sun. You just, you're, you're like blown away by it. I remember C.S. Lewis saying, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. He can't, you can't look at it directly, but by it you see everything else, right? Jesus is showing them something. And it's powerful. And it's transformative. And, and when you see Jesus like that, it changes you. I remember a scene in Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers where Gandalf and his crew approach the uh, palace of the king of Rohan. And the king of Rohan has come under the spell of the dark lord Sauron. And Gandalf is this wizard who's powerful, and, and he puts on a gray robe, and he, he called himself Gandalf the Grey. And as he walks into the room, he sees the king, who's all disfigured, because the, of this evil spell that's on him, he's disfigured, he, he, he looks sickly, and he's possessed by a demonic power of sorts. And as, he, as Gandalf approaches the king of Rohan, the king laughs at him and says, you have no power with me, Gandalf the Grey. And Gandalf takes his gray robes and he just rips them off. And underneath is this resplendent white garment that just shines. And all of a sudden the whole room is lit up and the king falls back. And all of a sudden he knows like, oh, whoa, whoa, this, it's on now, right? Like Gandalf the white showed up. And that's what's happening in this story. It's, that was an illusion actually to the transfiguration in the Lord of the Rings. 
Because Jesus is peeling back the layers and he's showing them who he finally is. And he's like, you don't have to worry about me dying. Boom. Like he's just in their face. Right. And they, they, they can't help but be overcome by the revelation of Jesus brilliant glory. And he shows them something of the glory that he had before the world began. Jesus spoke of this glory in his high priestly prayer in John 17. Verse 3, we'll start there. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And Jesus is praying here. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Behold, the glory of the pre-incarnate Jesus shining brightly before them. And it's staggering. I mean, it gets picked up all over the place in the New Testament. Peter's like, we beheld his majesty in his glory. We don't talk about cleverly devised fables. We're not talking about Mother Goose and Aesop fables. We're talking about Jesus appearing before us in glory. We're talking about the real Jesus who can bring real salvation into our lives. And that's just what the Apostle John said. In his first chapter, we studied several weeks back, several months back, John 1.14, he said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you see glory in Jesus, it transforms you. And it changes you from the inside out. So Jesus was showing them something here that he wanted them to see with their eyes. But he also wants them to understand. It's not enough to see, but you got to have understanding. A lot of times people get glimpses of Jesus and they get real scared. And they get real scared. And then they just avoid him or they, 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 they try to stuff him under the rug. I don't want to deal with that. That got real scary. My sin got exposed. I, I got scared because I was in the presence of something holy and glorious. And I'm so unholy. And the stuff it under the rug. We got to understand who we're dealing with here. And that's the second point. Look with me, if you would, at verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now you remember just one verse ahead. It said, behold, appeared, uh, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So you have two of the greatest figures in the Old Testament. If you're a Jewish boy or girl, right, in this moment, you are just yeah, like maybe to us, we're not as excited about Moses and Elijah appearing. But this is like this is like the top two guys in the Old Testament. This is Moses who wrote the, the, the first five books of the Bible and who was with God on a mountain himself where he had revealed 
to him the covenant and revealed to him the Ten Commandments. And it was very much, it was very much like this mountain experience. Very parallel. There's smoke and there's clouds and there's glory happening. And, and you got to listen to Moses sort of unfold this in Exodus 24, where he says, you know, uh, where he, he tells the story. He says, then Moses went up on a mountain and the cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud and now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud, went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And when he comes down, his face is just utterly shining. So bright that people are like, put a veil over that, man. That's too much for us. Because he was in the presence of the Holy One. That's what's going on on the Mount of Transfiguration. Except so much more because Moses pointed to Jesus. Moses and the whole law pointed to Jesus. So you've got Moses there and then you've got Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet. He was like the prophet in the Old Testament. He actually raised people from the dead by the power of God. He actually spoke to like 450 prophets who were talking smack against God prophets of Baal, and he called down fire from heaven and it burnt them to a crisp. This is like the two top guys, and it's as if God's saying, listen, you want to know who my son is? These two men have been pointing to him all along. The law and the prophets are pointing to Jesus, and they're giving way to Jesus, and they're saying, we must decrease, he must increase. Because he is the one Who's going to accomplish any kind of salvation that goes on in your heart. If you are to be saved from your sin. If you're to actually have the real problems in your life dealt with by God. If you're really to actually get right with God. You have to follow Moses and Elijah. And look to Jesus. And that's what we're having right here. In this very verse. And Peter Ready, fire, and Peter is like, Lord, it's so good we're here, Lord. I'm so glad we're here to tell you about this. I am so glad. We're going to build a couple shelters for you, okay? We're going to get like home improvement style. We're going to build some stuff, and we're going to have you, Elijah, Moses, all hanging out. We want to remember this. This is awesome. I'm so glad that we didn't miss this, and you're, you're, you're in luck that we're here, okay, Lord? You can kind of imagine Peter saying that. So excited. But the text actually suggests in the Gospel of Mark that he was uncomfortable and he was a little bit afraid. And so it was sort of like verbal spewing and he can't stop talking. He's like, not only is it good, Lord, but, but you know, yada, 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 yada. And all of a sudden, a voice from heaven interrupts Peter. <laughs> Look at it in verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and the voice of the cloud said, You want clarity on who Jesus is? God the Father is speaking from heaven right now to them, 
to interpret what's happening, lest you and I miss it. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is my beloved son. There's someone greater here than Moses and Elijah. The only son of God whom was sent from heaven to bring redemption to broken, corrupt, fallen people. He's the only one who's the answer to school shootings, to drug addiction, to the constant fear that goes on in the world around us and maybe even in your own hearts. Because when you fear Jesus, you don't have to fear anything else. When you are in awe of Jesus, you don't have to fear the stuff going on around you because he's got you. But this Jesus is the son of God from heaven. And the father saying he's well pleased with him. This is the sinless son of God. This is the, the son that delights to do the father's will. This is the son that did what Adam and Eve can't do and what you and I couldn't do. Because we rebel against the Lord. Jesus never rebelled. He was always pleasing to the father. And some of you feel far from God because you feel like I've got to do this thing. I've just, you know what Christianity is? It's just me cleaning myself up and then tacking Jesus on, on the end of it. And then I'm good to go. And you always feel terrible because you can't clean yourself up enough. And that's not Christianity at all. You have to trust in the one whom the father said is well pleased. He's well pleased with the son who lived the perfect life. You never could. And died on the cross for you. And rose from the dead. So you don't come to Jesus after you clean yourself up. You come to him to get cleaned up. And the last thing this voice from heaven says is listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Don't just, don't just talk and talk and talk and pontificate about who he is. Listen to what he says. Listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. The last time this voice spoke from heaven was at Jesus' baptism. When Jesus was getting ready to start his ministry. The spirit of God fell on him like a dove. And the father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus' ministry began. And now Jesus is on the way to the cross. And the Father is speaking again. So we know the identity of Jesus. And he says the same exact thing. It's not just, it's not just a confession about who Jesus is. But it's an encounter with who Jesus is and an understanding that's going on here. They're not just saying words. Now they're experiencing God bear witness to his own son. And that much we've got to understand. And some of us just struggle so much with listening to Jesus. It's really a good idea to think highly about Jesus, but when it comes to actually listening to what he says, we can sometimes tune him out, right? 
That's why the father says, listen to him. He's been telling you where, what, what he's going to do. He's going to go to the cross. And you're trying to step in the way of that. He's been talking to you, and you've not been listening. You know, sometimes I, I have this kind of brought home to me when I am watching my kids in front of the television. You know? And they're so engrossed in it that you could have like an F five tornado going on around and they're not going to break from that screen. You could be talking like at the highest pitch possible and they just can't hear you. There's just a total tuning out of anything else in the room and it's just like and they can't hear. And sometimes we can be like that with the Lord. Have you tuned out the Lord in your life? Like functionally, like, are you getting his word into your heart? Are you hearing from Jesus regularly? Are you regularly coming on Sunday to sit under the word of God and listen to what the Lord has said in his word? This is, this is a important reminder for us as believers and also for the watching world. The most important voice in our life is Jesus. Listen to him, spoke from the Father from heaven as a revelation to Peter, who's rambling on. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Brothers and sisters, if we want to experience any kind of personal revival in our own hearts, it has to begin with the word of God. It has to begin with listening to the voice of Jesus in the scriptures. Okay, last point. We not only need to see Jesus and understand who he is and who we're dealing with, but we actually need to experience him. It's not enough to know about him. You have to know him personally. Maybe some of you in here know a lot about Jesus, but you don't know him at all when it comes to a relationship. Look at it in verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes... They saw no one but Jesus alone. So perhaps you were thinking like a mountaintop experience with Jesus, right? You get to be on the mountain with Jesus. And it would end with you singing, I, when I, I could sing of your love forever, you know, or something like that, right? You think like, hey, I'm going to be singing praise songs. No, they're on their faces. And they're totally terrified at the presence of of Jesus in his unvarnished glory before them. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When you have a holy fear of God, I'm not talking about the kind of fear that uh, treats God as an enemy. I'm talking about the kind of fear that humbles yourself before him and acknowledges that you are so unlike him, right? 
In the presence of holiness, all of our unholiness is exposed. In the presence of glory, all of our falling short of the glory is exposed. And we see it all over the scriptures and never more profoundly than here when they're on their faces, terrified before the presence of Jesus. And maybe you've come in here today and you've lost your awe of God. You've lost your awe, your wonder, your reverence. And you are just going through the motions and you are just struggling for perfunctory religion when Jesus is calling you to be in awe of him. I remember reading the prophet Isaiah when he has a vision of God's throne room in Isaiah 6. And he tells of what it looked like. And he said, and one angel called or, or one angel called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, woe is me for I am lost for I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And he falls on his face before the presence of God's holiness. Now, lest you get discouraged by this, the story is not done with yet, right? They're terrified and Jesus is about to show them something glorious about himself. Jesus steps into that fear. He steps into that terror. He steps into that sense of where they're like, I am so not like the Lord. I am so unworthy of him. I, I'm, I'm so without hope in his presence. And what does Jesus do in verse 7 of our chapter? But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise. He just touches, he reaches out and touches them and says, rise up, have no fear. Are you longing for that kind of touch in your life? You've just gotten so afraid. You've gotten so anxious. You've gotten so far out and you need Jesus to come in and just touch you and say, rise up. Don't have, have no fear anymore. I'm here. I'm with you. Have no fear, child. I'm here. And Jesus touches them. And when they lift up their eyes, because their eyes were shut. They lift up their eyes. They don't see anybody else but Jesus only. And we're meant to be left with that note in the passage. It's like everything else vanishes. But the inner circle and Jesus, the fears have dissipated. The peace of Jesus presence is being experienced and there's nothing but Jesus alone. That's a glorious place to be when you just let go of all the other stuff that's been just pulling you away from God. You let go of all the other stuff that's been competing with Jesus, all the other stuff that you've been trying to add on to your Christianity and let it be Jesus alone.
you won't find peace any other way. And you won't find salvation if you're in here and you're not a Christian apart from that kind of peace. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Or Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Or as the kids have learned at Winter Jam, Jesus, period. Nothing else will do. So what do we need to lay hold of as we kind of take home the truths of this passage? What do we need to understand about this passage? What's it saying for you to grab a hold of today and walk out the door trusting? Well, the first thing we see is sometimes you just need to let Jesus take you up on the mountain, right? These disciples went with Jesus. Jesus says, let's go. And you say, all right. And you get up on the mountain. You put your iPhone in a drawer. You go drive in the car. You go take a walk in a park. And you just spend time alone with Jesus let all of the stuff out there, it'll be waiting for you. But Jesus alone, you and him, get alone with God and allow him to minister to your heart and give you what you need. Sometimes we just forget the basics of letting Jesus move in in powerful ways and take you up the mountain to revolutionize your heart and your mind and your soul. The Netflix shows will be there, right? The Snapchat will be there. Facebook threads will be there. But Jesus wants to take you up on a mountain and meet you. Second thing that I think we can take from this passage is that we just need to cultivate a healthy and holy fear of the Lord. There needs to be a sense God is among us. When we, actually, when, when we actually come into worship, there's a sense, there's a reverence, there's a sobriety, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an overwhelming reality that you're in touch with the fact that the Lord is present. And when the people come together, the people of God come together, he manifests himself in a uniquely powerful way. When the word is preached, God is speaking. And that's a glorious thing. Verse 6 shows us they fall on their faces terrified, but not for long. That awe and that wonder gives way to a beautiful and glorious peace in the Lord. And I just want to close maybe this way as you guys are thinking about this passage because we've been up on the mountaintop, we've seen what it means, we've seen a little bit of Jesus' resplendent glory, and now we're trying to think about 
What needs to happen in my life to cut something out that's keeping me from only Jesus, right? What do you need to look at in your life, your schedule, your hobbies, the things that you care about most? What needs to be reordered and restructured? Maybe just getting real honest in your relationships and bringing Jesus into them. Maybe getting real honest in your marriages and bringing Jesus into them. Maybe it's just clearing out all of the roadblocks and the debris of a media frenzy that can just sort of choke the life of God out of you. What do you need to step away from so that Jesus can be central? And when you do that, I promise you, you're going to experience the touch of the Lord on your life reaching out to you and saying, rise up. Don't be afraid anymore. I've got you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for this word. We thank you that it is only Jesus. Jesus alone that has the power to save us. Jesus alone who accomplished the work of redemption on the cross. Jesus alone who has the power over the grave, who rose from the dead. Jesus alone who's able to break the powers of addictions and struggles that we go through. Jesus alone can shatter the things that we're afraid of. And we pray, oh God, that you would help us to have all of those things, Lord, that we would have a peace of the Lord, that we'd have an awe of God, that we would have a single-mindedness to put Jesus before everything else. And just as Moses and Elijah had to go to the background and Jesus had to shine, that needs to happen in our lives. Lord, would you shine forth and would you change us and encourage us? In Jesus' name, amen.